Welcome to episode 101 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs. Uh, we are in split locations. I am in Orlando and Eno is still in Arizona wrapping up the uh, the Sabre Conference and the uh, the Fangraphs retreat, correct? Yeah, that's right. It was a lot of fun. Sorry I missed out on that, but if you do hear some background noise uh, that's not dog-related, uh, it will be Eno because he's in the hotel lobby because the Wi-Fi up in his room is not terribly strong. So if you hear any background noise, that's what it is. Uh, today we will be focused on pitching. We tried to do this. We I'd hoped to do this last Thursday. just didn't work out with the crazy schedule you had out there going to games and whatnot. So this is the pitching podcast that we promised you guys uh, at the end of episode 100. And we're going to focus on a couple of things. Uh, the new pitch story that I wrote last week and then the the elite pitch story that you know wrote on Monday and the one that he has going up later today uh, about more balanced uh, offerings from pitchers. Let's uh, jump right into it and talk about the new pitch article. Roughly, I, I found about 30 different pitchers that are working on new pitches this spring, uh, and they keep pouring in. Last night, I was at the hockey game, and I get a tweet from Corey Schwartz saying, hey, Felipe Paulino added a cutter yesterday. Nobody's talked about it all spring. He rolls it out in the game, throws five to eight, and likes it. So, I mean, even at this point in spring training, guys are still rolling things out. A couple of days ago, Jake Peavy decided he's going to start throwing a split finger after watching the success that Koji Uehara has had with it. A uh, lot of cutters, a lot of splitters, a lot of slurves, a lot of change-ups, a lot of things going on this spring. Uh, as I mentioned in the article, it's not a magic elixir. I mean, sometimes guys will use these things in spring and put them right back in their back pocket and, and not use it again. I could think of an example last year. Jake McGee worked on, his, worked on a cutter a lot in the spring and didn't use it during April, and, and said that working on the cutter so much during spring affected his fastball command in April. You go back and look at the numbers, and it certainly backs, the, uh, backs that up, as he was rather awful in April uh, before getting to May 1st and becoming the Jake McGee of old on that. What were your thoughts as you read over the uh, the new pitch article, you know? Um, you know, I thought about it a little bit with respect to uh, Brian Wilson, who I interviewed out here in Arizona this week, um, and... Uh, I just thought that, uh, you know, one thing that Brian Wilson said that, that we don't think about a lot at Fangraphs is confidence. Um, and I think it's nice about spring training. It's a time when results don't matter as much. So you can throw these new pitches uh, and see how confident you can get. But the reason they scrap them a lot of times is if you're not confident with the pitch, um, I, I think the batter knows it. Um, and even your the, the way that you throw it is effective and the way – that you sort of approach using it as affected. I mean, Brian Wilson, you know, is a bit of a, it's a bit of an act. Uh, it's a bit of a crazy closer act, but um, part of what it is is to instill confidence in himself and to, and to pre- project confidence. And so therefore he can throw a knuckleball anytime he wants because he's Brian Wilson. <laughs> uh, so I know that there are some ideological pitfalls in there. And it's not the sort of stuff that we normally talk about at Fangraphs, but I think that confidence matters a lot when it comes to these pitches that people are adding. In spring, they're like, okay, we're throwing it, but really kind of fun. can't watch, uh, see how throw a couple or if they're really, if they're really humming that in there. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you fading out just a little bit there. 
And, of course, this is the time of day when my garbage truck guy wants to come by. Hold on just a second. Okay, sorry about that. I had to shut all the windows because the garbage truck's coming by. I'm trying to eliminate the background noise as much as possible. Uh, yeah, and I talked to a couple of pitchers this week. I talked to Brad Peacock on Monday. He went into his start on Monday. He'd only made one spring training start uh, so far, and it hadn't been a good one. So they brought him in in relief against the uh, the Cardinals on Monday. He looked really good. He worked on a lot of change-ups. We talked to him after the game. And the change was not really a new pitch for Brad Peacock, but it's not one that he has, uh, has leaned on heavily, especially the righties. It just wasn't something he, you know, I could use both hands and count the number of same-sided change-ups he threw last year. But he said he wants to use it more to righties and lefties uh, to give them something else. You know, he had a lot of success coming back with the new slider last year. Upon his call-up, they sent him down to the minors, and they said, kid, you need another breaking ball. They gave him the slider. He came back up. was a big pitch for him. Now this spring, he's working on a changeup, yeah, and it looked really good in what I saw in person on Monday. That would be, I think, the missing link for him a little bit. I mean, he's got, um, you know, 92, 93-mile-an-hour gas, um, and uh, the slider wasn't a good pitch for him last year. So um, the curve has always been his calling card. If, if the change can even – I think if the change can even be okay instead of bad – um, he can uh, he can really outdo his projections this year. Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, it looks like he's going to be at the back end of that the rotation. It looks like he'll get one of those spots. But it is something he is cognizant of. He really wants to to get on top of that to have that changeup just to give batters something else to think about. He said, you know, last year I brought the the slider back with me. It worked for me, but I just can't rest on those laurels. I need to get something else. That's the same kind of thing with Danny Farquhar. You go and you read the piece I talk about. Farquhar made the changes. He got a consistent arm slot, put his curveball into play, and it became a really good pitch for him. But going into this offseason, he wasn't satisfied. Now he wants to add a two-seamer, and he wants to be able to get some results out of that. So coming off the kind of season where Farquhar had some amazing growth from, you look look back, I mean, this is a guy that's bounced around. He was in the Ichiro trade between Seattle and New York, had been in Oakland, had been in Toronto, had been in New York, finally got to Seattle, uh, had had cons- arm slots, five, six different pitching coaches, and finally said, you know what, this is what works for me, this is what I'm going to do, and that curveball was a big differentiator, and it, you know, instead of resting on his laurels, he said, I'm going to do more, and, I, and this was before, the, before they went out and signed Fernando Rodney, so you could tell that Farquhar was trying to prepare himself for an even larger role in 2014 by being willing to go on there and, and add another pitch to what was already a rather successful approach. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's actually, that curveball is elite. Um, I did a piece on elite pitches, um, and his curveball is, uh, you know, I, I lowered the pitch count down to around 100, and his curveball was the second um, swinging and strikingest uh, pitch in the in the bigs last year, uh, curveball in the, in the bigs last year. So, I mean, number one was Yusmero Petit, which uh, makes you, you know, you have to think about Arsenal's as, as a whole because Yusmero Petit has a lot of problems in the rest of his pitches, but his curveball's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Farquhar, on the other hand, and it's not Farquhar, um, as Cameron pointed out to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always want to put a D on the end of it and make it like a bad word. Um, but anyway, uh, Farquhar's uh, curveball is is up there, and he has a, a great four-seamer, and the cutter's pretty good, too. So if he got the sinker up, uh, I mean, last year... He didn't even get 50% ground balls, which is not great for a sinker. Um, he didn't throw it very often. But um, if that sinker became a legit pitch, I think it would lower the risk, sort of the, the downside for him, um, and make him even more attractive to the to the manager. 
I think he's a decent – I think he's one of the better guys who's not closing right now uh, that might close in the future. Yeah, I would put him on that list with, with Sergio Santos would be right there. It's a Mark Melanson, and that's kind of where I view him. I had Farquhar last year. Uh, I'm still bitter that Seattle went out and signed Rodney because I had Farquhar as a, a cheap keeper in two different leagues. So I, I am a little bit bitter about that. But I, I do like to see these guys make these improvements uh, to themselves because you know, when, you, when I talk to – yeah, I interviewed Josh Side of the Astros and, and re- recently retired pitcher Jensen Lewis for this story. And I asked him a couple of my questions were, you know, when you bring a new pitch to camp, is it something that you did uh, looking at the offseason? Like, man, I sucked against righties or lefties. You know, are you like you're looking at what's coming, uh, what the team has signed in the offseason? You're like, OK, some survivor bias is kicking in here. I need to do something to make myself stand out from the competition. And they both said it's a little bit of both. Sometimes, you know, they bring something to the team. The team's like, OK, cool. Yeah, we wanted you to add a pitch. Let's work on this together. Or they come to them at one of their offseason challenges. Go home, work on throwing this pitch. When you come in, we're going to work on it together. You know, those kind of things. So when they do this, it's all about something. But most of the time, I mentioned that Jim Henderson's working on a changeup because he has rather drastic splits. You look at his righty-lefty splits are about 90 points apart in batting average. So him getting a changeup will help him and make him a little more successful closer. You know, Martin Perez has talked about wanting to add a cutter to just to have something else. He's not a big strikeout guy. So to be able to have that cutter, that may be able to get him some more strikeouts looking because if he can backdoor that thing effectively and have it come off the corner and have it come off the plate and just catch the backside or come inside and get weak contact – That'll help him become a better pitcher. And even veterans like Mark Lowe. And Mark Lowe's 30 years old, and he's trying to add a cutter right now. You know, I, I think the Perez one is actually really interesting because he, he the changeup is elite, um, but changeups often have uh, opposite-handed uh, splits. Yes. Uh, so for him to add a cutter gives him something against uh, lefties that'll be good. And I think you're right also about the – we don't – you know, the backdoor thing, uh, I think just – Having something effective that breaks in the other direction is good. His curveball's not good. His slider's not good. If the cutter works out, um, then I think he'll have three pitches because he does have velocity uh, with the fastball. So, you know, velocity with the fastball, something that breaking um, in the cutter, slider, curve direction, um, and uh, and that elite changeup, I think, would actually make it all work in a way that I've been skeptical. I've been skeptical of Perez because of his lack of a breaker. Right. Um, so I get really excited when I, yeah. And Henderson, I mean, Henderson's made it work. So I, and and there've been plenty of fastball slider closers in the past. So I'm, uh, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily need him to do that, but I almost need Perez to have this cutter to really sort of believe in him. Um, and, uh, so I think that's one of the things I'm really interested in. I noticed that, you know, one of the guys that showed up in your list was not really about, um, about, um, a new pitch, but it was about mechanics, uh, changing his mechanics. And that's Tyler Skaggs. Yes. And, um, you know, I think that uh, is pretty amazing because what we've heard now is the result of these uh, undoing these mechanics is that um, he's now up around 93. Um, and I think that's really, really important because his curveball is, uh, is elite. Mm-hmm. And his changeup is actually above average. It's something that people forget about. Uh, his changeup is is not a problem pitch, so he now has what he needs in the in terms of off pitches. But when he was down at 89, what he was trying to do was throw a high uh, fastball at 89 to to, to hide his curveball. Right. The curve, you know, curveball comes out higher, um, 
just by na- by nature. And so, um, you know, in order to sort of hide that, one thing you can do is throw a high fastball so that people think it's a curveball and then it, it and then it blows by them. The problem is if you're throwing your fastball 89. You're kind of a little bit more Ted Lilly at the end of his career instead of Ted Lilly at the beginning. Of- yeah, I mean, one of the things, and Keith Law talked about this last year. You know, one of the concern, one of the reasons why he liked the deal for Arizona, he said that uh, for the Angels, rather, Arizona had shortened Skaggs' uh, extension in his delivery, and it was costing him velocity with this. And one of the things you go back and look at the stories when the Angels made this trade, they were very quick to point out we're going to get Skaggs back to his old mechanics. They get him back to his old mechanics. He gains a few more inches of extension on his fastball. We are, we're already seeing the velocity play up. We know that with more extension, your fastball velocity can it has a, a, a better effective velocity. So that's going to be in play there. One of the other changes in delivery I saw this week that wasn't in the story was Jared Cozart. Watch Cozart pitch on Friday. Uh, and one of the things he's doing is he's changing where he's starting his hands. And his hands are down by his waist. He used to be one of these guys that held him up at his face. So I, I had tweeted out a gif of it. If you go to, to my blog, jasoncollette.com, there's an animation there as well. But you can see the changes that he's made in it, and he's looking for more consistent arm slot out of his. But it's a work in progress. I mean, I'm watching this game. I was there on Friday for the game against the Cardinals. In the first inning, he strikes out Matt Carpenter, John Jay, and Matt Holiday on 13 pitches. He just blows it by him. In the second inning, walks Yadier Molina. Then he's got to go to the stretch out of these mechanics. And then his command fell apart, and it was a bad inning. And he said after the game he's not happy with his, his pace and his tempo with these new mechanics out of the stretch for whatever reason. We asked Bo Porter after the game and said, hey, you know, he said this. And Bo's like, man, he's been working on this stuff all spring. So if that's the problem, you know, maybe we got to sit down and talk with him about something else. Because you know he's been working on this mechanic all spring, and if he's still having issues with his pace and tempo here a month into spring training by working out of the stretch, uh, you know, that goes back to the confidence that Brian Wilson was talking about. Are we going to are we going to be worried about Jared Cozart regressing back to his old mechanics? Clearly, the Astros wanted to change something in his mechanics for them to rework his delivery this noticeably. And so I think it's just something to watch. Cozart has a lot of talent, but we saw last year. Uh, Control issues, simply put, his walk rate was too high. He's got the fastball, but control issues are what's holding him back right now. You know, um, what strikes me as as really important, um, perhaps we can really quickly kind of uh, give some um, perspective to the different names that we've said. I mean, uh, I think Farquhar in any league that has saves is actually a decent, um, you know, sort of bench pickup Mm -hmm. or anything that's deeper than 10 teams. Um, Martin Perez and Tyler Skaggs, I, I, I wonder where you think they are. I think they, they are fine um, final pitchers in, um, for most staffs, um, at least 12-teamers, I guess. Um, I, think they're, I think they're mixed leaguers at this point. I'd say that Cozart has a long way to go and is probably you know, some guy you pick up in your onlys, in your dynasties, and somebody you just – because – I mean, he has a long way to go, I think. Yeah, I agree with all those points. Uh, the only other point I wanted to make is one of the, this week I was talking to a scout uh, who had been recently been through Tampa Bay, and we talked about the fifth starting role and some of the bullpen action. Uh, he said that Brad Boxberger really impressed him, especially with the changeup. It was throwing a lot of 60, 65 changeups. Uh, in his opinion, that was really solid. Uh, he really likes Cesar Ramos for that fifth starting job over Odorizzi. He said Odorizzi's making a lot, of, a lot of nice progress with that changeup. But everything else uh, is not looking that smoothly right now. So I just something the bear watching. They're still trying to figure out who's going to be that fifth starter. Remember, Ramos has no options. Odorizzi does. 
if he's wor- still working on this changeup, there's a distinct possibility that Odorizzi goes back to the Triple A, goes back to Triple A again to start this season while they figure out what they have in Ramos. And maybe they put Eric Bedard in the bullpen. Or they say, Eric Bedard, nice knowing you, thanks, but no thanks. They give Odorizzi the job and Ramos goes back to the bullpen. But this decision has not been made yet, and we're only 13 days away from opening day. Yeah, I I, um, I wonder about that one, too. Um, is it – I mean, what is it in Odorizzi they don't like? Because, I, I've, you know, Bedard is still hanging around. You're right. And the fastball, um, really the command. I watched his last start against Boston. That He went through a, he threw a lot of changes in this game. Was very impressed when he went 3-2, full count change up against Ortiz and, Ortiz and completely locked him up. It was a thing of beauty. But the other pitches just cons- weren't there consistently. The fastball was running away arm side when he was facing lefties, missing his spots. Uh, the breaking ball was just kind of rolling up there. It really wasn't that pretty. Uh, but, again, the changeup, he, trip- he doubled and tripled up at times. That was nice. I mean, I, if they do this and they say, Ramos, you're in the rotation. Bedard, you're going to take the loogie roll right now. Odorizzi, get down to camp, uh, get down to AAA and keep working on this stuff. It wouldn't surprise me because they don't like giving away assets for the same reason why I can see Brad Boxberger going to AAA and the team retaining Josh Lukey. I mean, they've got they've got Juan Carlos Oviedo, who's finally back from Dominican Republic, working in the bullpen. Uh, he may start the season on a disabled list, uh, but you know they really like Mark Lowe. I mentioned earlier he's working on a cutter. They really like him. He's looked good this spring. Brandon Gomes is working on a cutter because he's been mostly a Ruggie who's had his issues against lefties, and that's one of the reasons he's adding a cutter, and he's looked really good in camp. So that situation, it bears watching because we've got about a week to 10 days before they got to make the final cuts here. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, we're talking deep leagues there. If you want to sort of go back in the other direction and talk about mixed leagues, uh, Tony Singrani, I see, is on your list adding a slider, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because – he did actually throw a slider last year, but I guess he's adding it in that it was bad. Um, and, you know, I actually just talked to him. That's why I bring, I bring him up. And um, I asked him uh, what it was like to be a one-pitch pitcher, and he gave me a death stare. <laughs> and then I said, oh, I mean, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, but we, we had a really great conversation after that. Uh, I asked him, um, I'll write this up soon, but uh, I asked him, you know, were your coaches always on your ass? Like, were, were they just always like, what about your slider? What about your changeup? And uh, he said, yup. <laughs> and, uh, and then he said something really interesting, which was, but I needed to make the big leagues, man. I needed to make the big leagues, and my fastball was going to get me to the big leagues. So, you know, as much as uh, even in the minor leagues, when there's a, some sort of pressure from the team to, uh, to work on stuff, um, there's always this, these results that are, they're going to pop up and the results are going to be, are going to be the reason why they scrap these things. And they think, Oh, I don't know. Now it's all about results. Now I need to win games. Now I'm not going to throw this slider that I don't like. Um, but for what it's worth, Singrani did say that he likes his, the shape of his changeup. The, the results weren't great last year, but he said he couldn't command it that well. So if, um, if his changeup does turn out to be a good pitch, um, his fastball has a lot of natural movement. And uh, it's a very effective pitch, one of the better pitches in the major leagues. Um, so as much as I'm worried about Singrani, uh, you know, the fact that he likes the shape of his changeup and is working on the slider, you know, it gives me hope that uh, he's going to have a good year. You know, one of the final points I wanted to make about this was, you know, we learned this week has been a, a horrendous week for pitching with everybody having needing second Tommy John surgeries and all of this, uh, or first Tommy John surgery with Corbin, with 
with Medlin, with Beachy, with Parker. You know, one of the things I wonder is if this, if uh, AJ Griffin, you know, he's dropping a cut or using more changeups. Now he's on the shelf for a few weeks with some forearm soreness. I wonder if this is a residual effect of that, and maybe once he comes back, does he go back to the way he that he was doing things, or does he stick with the plan that he had in place? Well, you know, AJ Griffin is a great name. I'm glad, glad you brought him up for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, um, I just talked to him uh, last week, and, and um, Straley pointed this out. Uh, AJ Griffin was known in the minor leagues for his changeup, mm-hmm. which is kind of an amazing thing to say because now everyone thinks of the yak or thinks that big curveball. Uh, and Griffin himself was sort of laughing about that. He said in the in the minors that was a toy pitch. Um, but so I don't think that I think in his case the using uh, more changeups. I'm not sure there's a direct correlation there because it's something he's thrown forever. Um, but uh, I see a, a lot of people on your list adding splitters. And um, I did talk to uh, Brandon Lee this week, and uh, I don't know if I am going to write that up because uh, I don't know how many people <laughs> care about Brandon. <laughs> or if he's going to have a job by the time the story gets right, posted. Exactly. But uh, I am going to save something he said, uh, and, and I took a picture of his splitter grip. And hopefully I'll uh, do a, pitch, a piece on splitters at some point this year. Uh, in any case, one thing they said was very interesting was not only did it hurt his knuckles when he was learning it because it spreads your, your hands, right. but he said he felt it in his forearm. Um, and he said that at first he definitely felt uh, uh, tiredness and soreness in his forearm when he was learning it. Um, so, you know – that does sort of point to the idea that some people have that splitters are tough on you. Um, and the forearm, you know, we know the forearm is related. You know, forearm soreness is the dreaded precursor to Tommy John or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't know that I would be worried about people adding splitters, especially as Randy Wolf. I, you know, Randy Wolf can add a splitter because he's got one foot in the grave. Yeah, that's, that's survivor. That's survivor right there. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. you mentioned – with the with the splitter, Alex Cobb threw a splitter as a prep when he got when the Rays drafted him. That's the first thing it took away from him. They said no, no more splitter because they were concerned <laughs> about the elbow press. So if he said in the interview last week, yeah, he got the double A. He was working with his pitching coach, and he's like, "Hey, let's work on, let's do this." And they they called it a split change. So the uppers were like, "Oh, he's throwing a changeup. Good, he's working on his changeup." But it's essentially a splitter, and that's the same pitch that Odorizzi's picking up because Odorizzi said, "Look, my changeup was just a straight change. It was nothing special. It was a blah pitch that was just a change of pace. It didn't have the movement." You look at Cobb; that split change has has the arm speed, has the deception, and has some serious fade to it. And if you watch Odorizzi pitch this spring, if you have a chance, you know, go on MLB.com, pull up the video. You know, you can see the action to his changeup. That's why you see a couple of guys making these moves. The, the splitters, I mean, Peavy's tried to throw a changeup. It hasn't really been a good thing for him. Marcus Stroman's adding a split changeup. Heath Bell's adding one. You know, of course, you're going to hang out in that bullpen. You're going to get one. Jorge De Leon from the, the Astros. Josh Zide, who I interviewed for the story, is working on one. Brad Lincoln's working on one. So a lot of guys are like, okay, my changeup is, sucks. It's not good enough. Let's get some action to it. And they're going to the split changeup. I love the I love the splitter. I wrote a piece this this off season called uh, "Everyone Should Learn a Splitter," and I know I know that the uh, the health risks are there, but uh, the thing that's so great about it is it comes out of your hand looking like a four seamer. You throw it like a four seamer. The first rotation that the, the, the batters pick up is a four seam rotation, um, and then everything changes. Uh, so to to have a pitch that looks like exactly like a, a fastball until it drops off the table is is pretty devastating. So um, you know. But in general, uh, I think, 
you, you called this, this piece Best Shape of, of Life 2.0, and I do think that there should be a healthy dose of skepticism. I mean, I am excited about Skaggs, um, especially since velocity is something you can see on – you can see and it's very concrete and, and tangible. Yes. And we now know that Skaggs' velocity is up, and we know that he's probably a different pitcher with it. Martin Perez's cutter, on the other hand – you know, we're just watching it, hoping he, he trusts it, hoping it's good enough. We don't get a lot of uh, pitch FX data in the, in the spring, so we don't really know uh, how many swings and misses he's getting with it. Um, you know, like Sean Doolittle and Jake McGee with their extra pitches, um, we don't know if he's going to throw them in the, in, the, in the big league season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just don't know a lot of things. So I think, um, I, think we're, uh, I think what I would do – is treat this as an asterisk in your drafting. Um, if you were interested in Skaggs a little bit anyway, then put an asterisk on him, which is like, oh, this this might be good for him. But um, don't bump him up 30 spots um, based on, you know, you know him saying that now he's... Oh, yeah, not at all. I mean, to me, this this is a tiebreaker type of thing. If I'm in a, in a deep league, if I'm in an AL only league, or I, this is a tiebreaker. I get to two different pitches, and I'm looking at, let's say I'm looking at uh, Jim Henderson and Jose Veras at the end of the draft. Similar skills, I'm like, well, Henderson's adding a changeup, so he's going to get more swing. He already has above-average swing and miss stuff as a closer. He's above. I looked at uh, a piece that I'm working on for, uh, over at Rotowire. I got a whole piece about looking at these guys, and Henderson's got above-closer-average swing and miss stuff. Uh, you know, swing and miss, Z contact, that's above. And the adding the change is only going to make that better. So that's a tiebreaker for me. That's why I look at this. I mean, I definitely, somebody made a comment in the story, said, hey, are you going to follow up on this at the end of the season? Absolutely. It's one of the first offseason pieces I want to do is go back to this piece and break these guys down. Did they get better swing and miss? You know, did they reduce their splits? You know, how did it help them? How did it hurt them? Did they stick with it? All these kind of things. This is one of the first pieces I'm gonna I'm will do in the offseason to see what stuck and what was just spring training smoke. Yeah, yeah. And you know, an interesting uh sort of like an opposite sort of way of looking at things is that we can look at guys uh who might not have the greatest fastballs but um have multiple pitches um that that work for them um sort of the guys that already did this or already have a lot of weapons um but are somehow underappreciated which is um something i got coming out it might have just uh pubbed or it's pubbing in in 45 minutes i forget um but i've got a piece coming out where i just looked at guys with three uh three pitches that were either close to average or above average and um and so these are the guys we call balanced arsenals it's a little bit different than it's like the opposite of your Jake McGee's. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, number one on the list, and, and no one should be surprised by this, is Corey Kluber. Um, his curveball, 19% uh, whiff rate, change up 21%, slider 16%. Those are all above average. The change is uh, almost elite. I mean, I would, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tick below Tim Lincecum's change up. So mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a good change up. The curve is actually one of the better curves in the, in the big leagues too. So, uh, his fastball, you know, it's ninety one, ninety two. I think it's not anything to write home about. But when he has these three weapons, you know, he can. This is why Corey Kluber's on everybody's um, sleeper list. But the Corey Kluber type gave me some really interesting names, and some of them I'm a little bit less excited about. Uh, you know, one that came up was Wade Miley. Right. He has a good curve and a good slider and a below average changeup, um, but he, he he throws it. And it's a representative uh, pitch. So um, I, I think that 
Uh, Wade Malley might not be as bad as some people think he is. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, that's, I think that would apply. One of the names I see on the list that you didn't mention off air, but one of the I'm I'm probably his his fan club president, and I'm probably on an island with this. But Ricky Nolasco. This guy always seems to end up on one of my teams every single year. Uh, and he's in this balanced arsenal group as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the, the, the one reason I would say that, you know, to not get too excited about these players is that Philip Humber is on the list too. So <laughs> uh, that, that's something to, to think about when you're looking at this list. But um, And also I'm working right now on trying to find out how to, like, correctly weight each of these pitches um for because you know if you think about it, the curve is not really used for for whiffs a lot um so maybe it's not a big deal if your curve is below average but if your changeup is below average that's a whiffer pitch maybe that's a big deal so i'm trying to uh work on a system that sort of does this systematically and and spots sleepers based on how important each pitch is and to your overall whiff rate um so that's a long-term project for me but I think I'm just anecdotally, I might be more interested in a guy like Tom Kohler. I was going to bring that name up as well. Yeah, because he has a below average curveball, but his changeup is average and his slider is really good. What I like about that is the curve is not really used for whiffs. So if he has a show me curve, um, I think that's a little bit better than a Wade Miley situation where the, if anything's show me, it's the change. Um, so. You know, looking at this list, I kind of – and Ricky Nolasco fits that too. His curve is eh, but his change is good and his slider is good. Um, so the curve is kind of a change of pace for him. So I think I might – I'm going to be working on this, but, you know, I think that that's what I see going in. I, I'd prefer to have um, a guy with a mad curve and a good change than, a, than the other way around. You also so. have a guy that has quite a bit uh, – People are on both sides of the fence with this guy, and Rick Porcello. I have seen pieces. When you look at Rick Porcello from May 1st on, and we talked about this when we did our team previews, was was extremely good. Strikeout rate really jumped up uh, against his career. But then you still look at the overall numbers, and this is still a guy who has yet to hold lefties to a sub-300 batting average in a, over the last five seasons. Every year they're, getting, they're hitting him. It was a little better last year, but he still has his struggles against lefties, which limits his overall upside. He's not adding any new pitch. I mean, the curveball, he just started using it more last year. He's always had it, but he started using it more last year, found some more success. Where are you in this Rick Porcello argument? It's it's really interesting, actually, because by the numbers that I ran, uh, none of his pitches is average. <laughs> uh, they're all below average. Um, because I have him at about a 10% whiff rate on curveball. It's 11%. Um, whiff rate is average. Uh, 15% is the, is the league average for changeup. He's got a 14%. His slider is 14%. His slider is 15%. But as you could tell from each of those, they're right at average. So, um, you know, I think with three, let's just call it, let's pretend they're all average. I mean, they're, they're really close. So let's just say he's got three average off-speed pitches. We know his sinker is elite. Um, I mean, that's that's with bread and butter. And we know, I mean, even with Iglesias' injury, um, I think that whoever they put there um, is going to have better defense than, than Peralta. And we know that third base is going to be better defense. So we know that there's some team factors that are going to make a sinker uh, more effective. And we know that he has three average pitches. So I think there's no way he's going to be an average major league pitcher. I think he, I think with the fact that a sinker is elite and he has three average pitches, he's got to be better than average. Um, and, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that he's going to be a number two, you know, 
Um, an average major league pitcher is not a number two fantasy pitcher. Um, but uh, it does mean I think he'll be useful in mixed leagues. Yeah, I'm, I'm along the same lines. I, I'm excited to see what's gonna what he and Smiley are able to do this year. Of the two, I think Porcello is going to be the more productive fantasy pitcher. Uh, when you look when we're looking for final value, Smiley I obviously have concerns about the innings limit. I don't know if uh, he'll be able to reach what Porcello will be able to do uh, coming off the season relief, but definitely bears watching. Let's go, let's jump down to the the, the two pitch balance arsenal because there's a few names in here um, over the last 24 hours that, that have that have taken a bit of a jump as far as where they're going to be. Uh, starting with Taylor Jordan, the the Nationals have made the decision to put Rostetweiler in the bullpen. Uh, and I said that it's going to be Taylor Jordan or Tanner Rourke for that final job. I'd be stunned if Taylor Jordan's not getting this job because Tanner Rourke simply doesn't have the same kind of stuff. But what are your thoughts on Jordan? Yeah, he's showing up in this piece today. Um, his slider had a 21% whiff rate last year, and his changeup had a 21% whiff rate. That's that's all I need to see. He has velocity, and he has two really good pitches. That's even more important to me than the three-pitch guys. So. Um, especially when they break in different directions. So I'm really excited about Taylor Jordan. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm like, you know, get him in all your mix leagues, but I definitely went through all my uh, leagues that I'd already drafted and looked for a way to pick him up. Um, and uh, I do agree. I think Tanner Rourke is the perfect six starter, the guy with the sinker that can come in and, and, and limit damage and, and be there um, to, to build up innings or whatever. But I think Jordan has more upside, and that's going to be more exciting for them. So um i i'm all over taylor jordan um i think i would do it in mixed league i mean i think he's on the level of a final pitcher you know do i who'd you pick between taylor jordan martin perez and tyler skaggs i think i might go skaggs jordan correct i'm on the same page there with you same page i i am not a martin perez fan yeah. Just, just I, I need to see more. I need to see more strikeout percentage. I need to see more swing and miss in his game. Uh, for the same things we covered, it's just not somebody that. Even when the Rangers signed that deal, that was one of the first things I had to write up at Fangraphs, and I wanted to do a one sentence story and say why did they do this, but. Uh, that didn't fly by the editor. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's look at Oakland because there's two more guys. Obviously, we said earlier, Jared Parker done for the year. Second Tommy John surgery. Griffin's going to start the season on the disabled list, which bumps up Dan Straley. And also puts Jeffy, Jesse Chavez in the rotation. Some people thought it might be uh, might be Tom Malone and Drew Pomeranz. Uh, but Chavez, it, I saw a story yesterday from Jane Lee. It says Chavez is going to get the third start of the season for the A's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, Dan Straley is uh, comfortably ahead of uh, uh, so many p- people we've talked to today. He may not be ahead of Corey Kluber, but um, I think he's ahead of the Jordan Perez-Skaggs group. Uh, I think Straley showed enough last year that uh, we can trust him. He had an above-average changeup, and uh, he's always had a good slider, and the fastball is not an 89-mile-an-hour get-me-over-anything. So Straley is uh, probably the second-best pitcher we've talked about today um, in terms of uh, fantasy value this year, I think. But And and Jesse Chavez, it's funny if you talk to anybody who's a Royals fan like I did this week, they sort of scoffed at me that he would ever be useful. Um, but he had a really bad year in, in Kansas City, and I don't think you know seven innings with five home runs allowed is really um, something that he should be judged upon. So um, when I talk to other pitchers in the in the clubhouse, they always point to Jesse Chavez as having nasty stuff. Um, he has a really good sinker, the slider's above average, and the change at ten percent is probably why he was a reliever. Uh, but when you're talking uh, deep leaguers, like, like I mean, Jesse Chavez is, is probably 0% owned on most platforms right now. So um, 
or maybe he's going up to 1% now. Uh, I think he's good enough to be owned in more leagues than that. I don't think he's a mixed leaguer. Yeah, I mean, his name, he was one of the guys, he was with the Rays ever so briefly uh, and was part of the Akinori Iwamura deal uh, is where he came uh, into play. That's how that's how that whole thing, he was part of that nice. shuffling around uh, of names. But yeah, I mean, when you look at his numbers, his splits aren't terribly large. He's got a 15-point difference and his weighted on base average between righties and lefties over the last five years. His strikeout rate... Uh, is slightly higher against lefties, uh, against righties rather. So there's not a drastic split. And, you know, Oakland, there are worse places to land for a guy than Oakland. Obviously, this is a guy that's going to be able to utilize the defense that's out there. It's not. It's not elite behind him, but it's good. And we know fly balls go there to die. We saw what happened with Bartolo Colon. So uh, he he definitely. I'm definitely peaked uh, by to see what Jesse Chavez is going to be able to do out there in Oakland. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think he's a, he's definitely interesting, and you know, with Griffin being forearm soreness, maybe um, maybe Chavez is behind Malone, especially since they can shove him over the bullpen. They know that, uh, but Griffin's forearm soreness is not necessarily just going to disappear. Um, so uh, I, I think that's uh, you know he's a decent toe in the water there. If you got a if you got a you know 150 innings out of Jesse Chavez this year. Um, in your deep league, uh, just because you you were willing to take the flyer at the beginning of the year, I think you'd be very happy. Yeah, I think I could definitely play out. Let's look over because we were talking about balance. You mentioned earlier you had your your elite pitches. We haven't talked about the elite guys yet. Uh, who were some of the guys that with the elite pitches that really stood out for you when you were working on your piece that ran on Monday? Well, I mean, it's the kind of thing that really highlights relievers. So, um, I mean, you really see Nate Jones, Cody Allen, um, A.J. Ramos, Jordan Walden, uh, Danny Farquhar, David Robertson, Casey Jansen. You know, you get a lot of relievers uh, that, that rise to the top. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, these are all good relievers to, to think about. Uh, in the sort of deep sleeper is uh, Gonzalez Hermen in, in New York. Um, he has he had actually the best changeup by swing strike in the big leagues. Um, so that was I think something that really surprised me. And his slider had a twenty five percent strike rate, swing strike rate too. So Herman has like really good uh, off speed stuff. Has like a ninety two mile an hour fastball. You know I know everyone talking about Vic Black uh, and Herman might not make it, but if you're in a super deep league, he's someone to think about. But otherwise, the, these guys I think are are on my list. Of, uh, of of backups, handcuffs, guys I want to do for closers, which is Ramos, Walden, Farquhar, Roberts. I mean, Robertson's actually a closer, but these are the guys that I'm picking up, um, you know, once the closers are gone. I mean, I mean, you mentioned, you know, earlier we had talked about Skaggs. We had talked about, uh, we've talked about Sergio Santos. The one name that stood out to me, and I think he's, he's a very intriguing name in NL, is Will Smith. Will Smith you know, but you look at him, he has the stuff to be a starter or a reliever for these guys. And I think if I'm in an NL only league, a standard, even a 10 team NL only, 12 team NL only, I'm going to find room for Will Smith on my roster somewhere. I kind of regret, I did a 10 team mock with the with ESPN there today, and I ended up taking Carlos Villanueva in this slot. And I kind of regret not taking Will Smith in this spot because I do, I like what I saw from him last year. And if he can work in that swingman capacity, much like Villanueva does with Chicago. I think there's some nice profit there for Will Smith. Yeah, I mean, that's the best slider in baseball uh, by whiff rate last year. 
Um, and he, it's not like he didn't throw it a lot. I mean, there, there were a lot of sliders. So to have a 31% swing strike rate, I mean, to get a whiff out of every three that you throw is pretty amazing. Um, so I, I, and I think it's probably, and it, it didn't actually go down that much. I looked at it versus um, righties. It didn't go down that much versus righties. So I think he might be one of these guys that's just so good at what he does that he can survive the platoon splits and normally come with it. Um, and, you know, Jim Henderson has some risk in his uh, control and command. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some chance for him to close there or, or start. So he's definitely an interesting deep league play. Uh, definitely a guy I would I would pay attention to. In mixed leagues, one of the guys that came up was uh, Marco Estrada's changeup. You know, that's an elite. That's an elite Love, pitch. love Marco Estrada. Yeah, and you know he's a, he's a little bit homer homer happy in Milwaukee, and the the fastball isn't great, but he's got such good command. The changeup is good, and the curve is is good for grounders. I think he's got what he needs uh, to succeed, despite giving up a few home runs. That kind of the Ted Lilly type, where small whip, uh, maybe a three six three seven ERA, a lot of strikeouts, um, you know, all mitigated by his good command. And I think we might need to wrap it up. Something is happening here in this lobby. It's getting crazy. Uh, well, the one the one point I wanted to make quickly on Marco Estrada is, you know, with his home runs, all of that stuff came in April. You look at his home runs, he gave up 19 home runs last year, 10 in the month of April. After he got out of April for the rest of the season, batters hit 206 off him with a 584 OPS, gave up nine home runs and 362 plate appearances. So he was really good the rest of the way once that home run to fly ball stuff leveled out for him. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's uh, he's definitely – I've got him as like my fourth, third – I don't know if I have him as a third, but I have him as a fourth and fifth pitcher in a lot of my leagues, and I'm happy about that. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, since the background noise is kicking up, we're going to have to cut this one off. We'll, we'll see what we can do on Thursday. Thursday's a travel day for me. I don't get into New York until about 2.30, 3 o'clock, so we'll see what we can work out. No guarantee on a second podcast this week, but absolutely we will have one next week. Uh, as both uh, my travel schedule and Ito's will be back to normal and we'll both be working from our home office next week. Thanks for listening. Hey. <laughs>